You're listening to A Sure Hope with Pastor Dave Shank of Calvary Chapel, Cape May in Cape May, New Jersey. Join us as Pastor Dave teaches verse by verse through God's Word. You might ask the question, why does the world hate us? Well, because it hated Jesus, but why? Well, like it or not, believe it or not, Satan is control of the world. He's called the God of this age, and Satan hates God. And because you are a child of God, Satan now hates you. He hates righteousness and all that is good. Satan desires to destroy God. He knows he can't, but as a child of God, he would love to destroy you. The accusations that Paul faced can still be experienced today. Scripture tells us that the world hates those who love Christ. Today, Pastor Dave answers the question, why do people hate Christians? The world belongs to Satan, and he hates God. So, since you're not of this world, the world hates you. Now here's Pastor Dave in the book of Acts chapter 24. As he continues his message, Paul faces his accusers. Tertullus is calling Paul plague. He's a pest. He's a New Jersey state bird. Get him out of here. He's a pest. Tertullus then turns to Paul, and he accuses him of leading sedition. Sedition is a conduct or language which incites riot against authority. It incites rebellion. It's like speech or behavior that's directed against the peace of the state, and it tends to undermine the authority of the state. This probably could be the worst damage And the worst accusation against Paul, sedition. Because this could get him killed by the Romans. The Romans took a dim view of anybody rebelling against their empire. They took a real, real bad view of anyone who was looking to overthrow them or looking to take charge. The world thinks that we're too involved in politics. The world thinks that we should just go away and stop being pesty. The world thinks that we want to overthrow our government. We don't want to overthrow our government. Right is right and wrong ain't. It's as simple as that. We want what is right. The opposite should be true. The Bible tells us that we're to pray for our leaders. We're to lift them up and pray for them and seek that they would seek God's counsel and that they would be led by the Spirit, that they would, they would, they would seek Christ. We're to pray for our leaders, good or bad. Why? Because they're appointed by God. They're appointed by God, and it's okay for us to stand up for what we believe in. It's okay for us to hold to the values that the Bible teaches. It's okay for us to stand up and say, abortion is wrong, gay marriage is wrong. Why? Because the Bible says so. It's not my opinion, it's God's opinion. And I'm just supporting what I read from God and what he shows me. I agree with this. We're not pests. We're not trying to overthrow the government. We want a good government, a government that's just and fair, but we also want the government that was created back in 1776, one that was created under God. That's what we want. I don't think it's wrong for us to stand up and be counted. But they're accusing Paul of sedition. Then Tertullus accuses Paul of being a ringleader of a sect, this this group, this, this 
this group that's kind of out there, a sect of Nazarenes. It's interesting that John Corson says it this way. The enemies of the church called believers Christians or Nazarenes. Christians, or little Christ, was meant to mock the Lord. And the Nazarene called attention to the fact that he was from some hick town called Nazareth. You remember Nathaniel sitting under the tree? John 1, 46, can anything good come from Nazareth? Well, that was the thought. That was the thought. Next time you think about the villas, maybe you'll think about it in a different way. Maybe you'll think about it in a different way. What's interesting here is that the word used for sect, S-E-C-T, in the Greek is actually the word used for heresy. It's the word used for heresy. So what Paul was being accused of was heresy, teaching against the law of Moses, teaching against the tradition of the fathers, teaching against what was going on in in the Jewish religion, what was going on in the children of Israel for ages. Paul was coming against that when Paul was just saying no, because the law, I mean, because Christ was all the law and the prophets put together. The final accusation is that of being satanic by profaning the temple. And when you profane something, you desecrate it. When you desecrate a religious object or a religious place, you violate the sanctity of it and you treat it disrespectfully. First summer I was here, when we were over in Washington Boulevard, we got struck by the condiment bandits. The condiment bandits. And what they did was they took great big jars of mustard, And they went all over that beautiful white church and they put pentagrams on it. And they did all kinds, they had six, six, six. And they did all kinds of stuff all throughout the entire outside of the church. And we found these empty squeeze bottles of mustard and stuff like that. That's why I call them the condiment bandits. They were desecrating a holy place. It was holy to us. It's just a building, but it was holy to us and they desecrated it. That's what desecration means. You, You violate the sanctity of it. You treat it with disrespect. Why did they say this about Paul? Because they believed he took Gentiles into the temple. They took Gentiles into the temple, and they had false witnesses who were claiming that he did. This was considered to be profane to the Jewish law. It was considered to be devilish, malicious. It was considered to be an act of Satan himself. So Paul was being accused of a satanic activity. Tertullus continues in verses 6b through 8. And wanted to judge him according to our law, but the commander Lysus came by with great violence, took him out of our hands, commanding his accusers to come to you. By examining him yourself, you may ascertain all these things of which we accuse him. Tertullus' testimony of charges against Paul was far from the truth. It was based on lies and false witnesses. If it seems good, it doesn't matter. The truth doesn't seem to matter when it comes to this time of the law. All you want to do is win your case. Paul did not take Gentiles into the temple. And the Jews didn't want to judge Paul, according to Luke's narrative. What did the Jews want to do to Paul? Rip him apart. They wanted to kill him. There was no judging him. They wanted to kill him. (laughs) You got to love this lawyer. I'm not going to do any lawyer bits, but you got to love this lawyer. Because he's throwing everybody under the bus. He even threw the Roman commander under the bus. The Roman commander came and took him out of our hands by violence. Well, wait a minute. That's not the way Luke recorded it. It's not what we see. 
See, when the world comes against us Christians, truth is sometimes not very relevant. Have you ever noticed that? Truth is not very relevant when the world comes against us. They just want us out of the way. Why do they want us out of the way? Then they can do whatever they choose, or they can prove themselves right. They don't want to be convicted of wrongdoing because to them, they're not doing wrong. See, if there is no God, there are no absolutes. There is no right nor wrong. If we get out of the way, we can't constantly say, that's wrong. That's incorrect according to the Bible. All they do is justify and rationalize. Sounds like Israel's judges in the early days, doesn't it? Every time you read about one of Israel's judges, it says, and they did what was right in their own eyes. They didn't care what God said. But this is the way of the world. This is the way of the world. They won't listen. They won't listen. You know, Guzik makes an interesting statement speaking of Tertullus. He says, quote, Significantly, the same man who found it so easy to flatter finds it so easy to accuse with no evidence. The two almost always go together. Listen to this. The person who today flatters you will likely tomorrow accuse you behind your back. Ouch. Wow. And it's no surprise, as we look at the last verse here, it's no surprise that the high priest and all the men who came with him agreed to the charges and affirmed them to be true. Look at verse 9. And the Jews assented, maintaining that these were, things were so. What else would you expect? Here the word assented actually means they joined in the attack. It reminds me of the, of the old time um, trials and things like that over in England and stuff like that where they, they would have these sticks and things and when something was going their way they'd pound on the floor and they go here, 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 here I can see these guys going, going yeah, go get them Tertullus yeah, we agree, yeah they're all joining together but you know these accusations that were made against Paul could very well be made against Christians today and unfortunately they are at times the world hates us We're in the way. But should this surprise us? If you're a Bible scholar, you know that Jesus predicted this in John 15, 18. He said, if the world hates you, you know that it hated me before it hated you. So you might ask the question, why does the world hate us? Well, because it hated Jesus. But why? Well, like it or not, believe it or not, Satan is control of the world. He's called the God of this age, and Satan hates God. And because you are a child of God, Satan now hates you. He hates righteousness and all that is good. Satan desires to destroy God. He knows he can't, but as a child of God, he would love to destroy you. So why would the world hate you? Because according to Scripture, you're not of this world. There is something perverse in human nature that seems to pick on or bully the one who is different to the world. Christians are different. We don't seem to fit in. Hey, he doesn't fit in. He's a Christian. Let's get him. You don't believe me? Go to any playground in the world and watch little kids. Any playground in the world and watch little kids. They'll find the one who's a misfit. They'll find the one who doesn't fit in, and they'll pick on this person unmercifully, especially in the middle school age. As a school teacher, I've seen it for years and years and years and years. Finding the weak one and going after them. That's what we love to do. I mean, if you're comfortable or feel at home in the world, I think that you should carefully examine your relationship with God. If you feel at home in the world and you're comfortable in it, you need to examine your relationship with the Lord. Jesus said, I am not of this world in John 8, 23. 
And later when he was praying, he said, I have given them your word and the world hated them because they are not of this world, even as I am not of this world, in John 17, 14. So the world hates you because the world identifies you with Jesus and they hated Jesus. Why did they hate Jesus? Well, they hated him because of the things he said to them. He exposed their hypocrisy. He took the mask off their sin. He condemned the things they loved, the earthly, sensual things. He declared that the path to true happiness is through self-denial, not self-indulgence. They hated him because they really hated God the Father. Jesus said in John 15, 23, he that hates me hates my Father as well. Jesus represented the Father in both in the, in the words and in the things he did. In giving them the words of the Father and doing them the works of the Father, it stirred up their ungodly wrath against them. It's the same is true of the world we live. When we do something godly, when we do something, it stirs up their wrath because they hate God and they don't want any part of him. I mean, prior coming to Jesus, we all had and could plead guilty of, of ignorance. We're, we're ignorant. But now that the word of God has been taught and we've seen the work of God, there's no more excuse for ungodly lifestyles. There's no more excuses in our lives. As exposed as sinners and rank hypocrites, some people hate the light that's exposed to them and they want to distinguish the light. Hence, how many times did they try to kill Jesus? And now you are standing in Jesus' stead. We're standing in Jesus' stead before them and we declare the word of God for them. And in you, we manifest the work of God. It's worked and they see it and they hate us. They hate us because... They want to destroy us just like they destroyed him. So let's look at some things. But I want to be accepted. I want to be liked by the world. I want to be accepted by all all my friends. Well, great. And if you improve of all the ungodly speech and if your actions of the wicked, they will love you. You will be hailed as a wonderful person. If you compromise your faith and go against the word of God, you'll be welcomed into their fold. They will love you. They will think you're great. If you laugh at their filthy jokes and their suggestive innuendos and maybe share a few of your own, you'll be one of the guys. They'll love you completely. You know, James didn't fool around. James didn't miss words in James 4.4. Do you not know that friendship with the world is enmity with God? Whoever is a friend of the world is an enemy of God. Wow. Wow. You must choose between being a friend of the world and a friend of God. See, the world promises and promises and promises, but the world never delivers. It always costs you more than you can give in the world. The world always wants more. The world never gets enough. The world takes and takes and takes and takes. The world leaves you empty. The world leaves you restless. The world leaves you naked. The world leaves you poor. But Jesus said, come to me. He said, come to me in your poverty and I'm going to make you rich. Come to me in your nakedness and I will clothe you with righteousness. Come to me empty and I will fill you up. Come to me restless and I will give you rest. Jesus gives to us what the world can't give. Jesus gives to us hope, the hope of eternal life, the hope of the forgiveness of sin, the hope of everlasting peace. Jesus has come to give us life. And in these same verses, in John 15, Jesus says to him one of these precious, precious statements at all. You've not chosen me, but I chose you. He's declaring that he has chosen us to be out of the world, to come out of the world to be with him. 
In 1 Peter 2, verse 9, Peter declares that he has called us out of darkness into his marvelous light. Now, I'm not to love the things of the world and anything that is in the world. For he that loved the world in his heart has not the love of the Father. Has not the love of the Father. What is in the world? Well, I can tell you. I can show you. Take a minute and turn to 1 John. Turn to 1 John for a real quick second. In 1 John chapter 2, beginning in verse 15, let's read 15 through 17. The apostle is speaking now. He says in verse 15 of chapter 2, 1 John, Do not love the world or the things in the world. If anyone loves the world, the love of the Father is not in him. For all that is in the world, the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, and the pride of life, is not of the Father, but is of the world. And the world is passing away, the lust of it. And he who does the will of God abides forever. What is the will of God? Accepting Christ into our life. They asked Jesus many, many times, what kind of work do we do? What's the work of the kingdom? What did Jesus say? Believe. Believe upon the one one who was sent. Believe upon me, he said. So we've been called out of this world by none other than Jesus Christ himself. He has called us out of the world. He's chosen us. Listen to these beautiful words in Psalm 40, verse 2. He also brought me up out of a horrible pit, out of the miry clay, and set my feet upon a rock and established my steps. Oh, I don't know about you, but when I look back at the horrible pit that I was in, when I look back to the horrible pit that God pulled me out of, how thankful I am. And I realized I was sinking. I realized that I was going down. I was going down, but God took me. He pulled me out, and he put my feet upon the solid rock. And that solid rock is Jesus Christ. And that established my new life in Christ. See, the world wants to save itself, but it can't. The world says, we can save you, but it can't, because the world will only give you despair. The world will only give you despair. That's all they can offer. Only God can deliver you. But the world doesn't believe that. You can't stand in front of God on your own two feet. You must stand in front of God in Christ Jesus. Be recognized as a child of God because of your acceptance of Christ's sacrifice. You must stand in front of God in Jesus' righteousness, not your own righteousness, which is filthy rags. You stand in front of God in Christ. So don't despair. Look to Christ and live, for he is our deliverer. He is our deliverer. And as I struggled with this message, I was drawn to this beautiful hymn, this beautiful, precious hymn that was penned back in 1719 by a man named Isaac Watts. He wrote a series of poems, and they were entitled The Psalms of David. But in 1867, a man by the name of William B. Bradbury put one of them to music. He put one of them to music, and I need to end here. I need to share this with you, and I shan't sing it. Although I tried to learn the verse. The title of it is, I Waited Patiently for the Lord. Some of you may have heard this old hymn. What a gorgeous, beautiful hymn. Please, listen to the words. I waited patiently for the Lord. He bowed to hear my cry. He saw me resting on his word and brought salvation nigh. He raised me from a horrid pit where morning long I lay and from my bonds released my feet, deep bonds of miry clay. Firm on a rock he made me stand. 
and taught my cheerful tongue to praise the wonders of his hand in a new and thankful song. I'll spread his work of grace abroad. The saints with joy shall hear, and sinners learn to make my God their only hope and fear. How many are thy thoughts of love? Thy mercies, Lord, how great. We have not words nor hours enough their numbers to repeat. When I'm afflicted, poor, and low, and light and peace depart, my God beholds my heavy woe and bears me on his heart. Is that a glorious, glorious, glorious message of hope? When the world comes after us, and the world will, when the world accuses us of all sorts of things, including satanic behavior because we drink the blood and eat the body of Christ, when they accuse us of sedition, wanting to overthrow the government, when they accuse us of being a sect, when they accuse us of being pests because we have the message of eternal life, don't despair. Because God has called you. God has called you for such a time as this. He's called you out of his darkness. He has placed you in his marvelous light, and he has given you a message to carry to the world, a message of hope. Though the world will hate you, Though the world will despise you and the world will come against you, there will be those who listen to the message with intent. And there will be those whose God is preordained, whose spirit checkens their heart, and the Holy Spirit does a miraculous work in their lives who will accept this message of hope and peace and become born again into a living hope. Don't despair, Christian. Don't despair. For the time will come when this world will pass away. And be no more. The time will come when the Lord will return with a shout and gather to him together all those, all those glorious people who have accepted Christ's sacrifice, his church, his bride. Gather them together and we will indeed be with him forever and ever. Don't despair, Christian, in our times. Though the world hate us, we are loved by a most high God. We are loved by the creator of the universe himself. The one who created us, the one who knows us better than we know ourselves, the one who knows every single working part of our body, who created it with such intrinsity. The word there I'm trying to say, but I can't. Precisiveness. Oh, the glory of God. His wonderful outpouring of love upon us all. If you leave here today missing that, if you leave here today missing what God has for you, Christian, you've missed the point. Point is, when you're in the horrible miry clay and you're sinking fast and you've got your nose up because it's coming up and it's coming up and there's no place else to go, reaches his hand down. He reaches his hand down. He pulls you out. He pulls you out. He calls you to his own. He calls you to himself. Don't leave today without that hope. Don't leave today without that peace in your heart. You are Although our time is coming to a close for the day, you don't have to stop studying God's Word. We encourage all our listeners to spend time daily in the Bible, learning from the timeless text that your Creator has given you. If you'd like to listen to more of Pastor Dave's teachings from this series in Acts or explore messages from other books of the Bible, you can do so by visiting AssureHopeRadio.com. 
You can also subscribe to our podcast on iTunes to have updated messages sent right to your computer or phone. If you'd like a CD copy of today's message, we'd be happy to send you one. Just give us a call at 609-884-5821. That's 609-884-5821. We're so blessed to be able to share God's Word with you with each new edition of Assure Hope. But we want to encourage you to find a local church to attend regularly as well. Being a part of the body of Christ gives you a place to learn and grow with other imperfect people while providing an outlet for your unique, God-given gifts. If you're in the Cape May area, we'd love to have you come by Calvary Chapel, Cape May. We meet each Sunday at 10 a.m. for worship and Bible study, and childcare is available. We're excited to have you join us. For more information and to get directions, visit AssureHopeRadio.com. That brings us to the end of our program for today. Thanks for tuning in to Pastor Dave's study in the book of Acts today. And we hope you'll join us again right here on A Sure Hope.